Well, welcome everyone. We're so glad to have you here this morning. Sorry that we've had to continue changing things on you. I think right now it's uh, obviously it's a really interesting time, but I think one of the things that's difficult is trying to decipher how we can best uh, bring community the best possible way that we can. So it's definitely been a challenge, but I, I really thank you for uh, making the, the change to 10 a.m. Like I said, it's, um, it's been an interesting season. It's just a kind of a weird time we're in. Not kind of, it's a weird time we're in. And so I think for us to be able to try and find the best possible way that we're going to be able to continue um, keeping community right now. Um, I'm really just trusting God. I know that's easier said than done. That's probably, it's easy for me to say it up on the stage right now. Um, but behind closed doors, I'm, I'm really trying to trust God as well and just say, you know what, God, you are, you are in control. Um, this pandemic might have shocked us and all the things that are going on, but um, God knew this was going to take place. And I think the enemy loves it. I think he um, is really loving the chance at communities being broken. Um, and I think God is, is doing the opposite. I think God is actually going to use this and he's going to say, you know what, we are... Uh, we as the church can come together and we can set the tone for how the world views uh, community after this. And so I just want to be able to say thank you as just I start off as just uh, it being a 10 a.m. service, a little bit different. And we'll see how this goes. You're going to probably have to keep watching Facebook and Instagram and, um, you know, our website to just see some of the changes going forward. Who knows? Um, but we just want you to know that we are excited. We do believe God is still absolutely working. This is not um, this is not surprising to him. And so um, I just want to be able to start off in prayer. So if you join me, let's do that together. Dear Jesus, we come before you. We thank you so much for all that you're doing. Uh, it's uh, one of those seasons that it's, kinda, it's, it's a little interesting because we're not even sure if it's a season that we're in or if this is actually kind of an ice age, that this is going to be uh, the new normal for things. Um, not just churches businesses, restaurants, life, society, and we're trying to decipher uh, how we can best continue to do church, because church is a group of people. Um, when you take the stages away and the, the lights and, and the microphones and all that stuff, that, I mean, those are great, um, but that's not what church is. Church is a group of people coming together, and so we're going to keep that in mind, Father, that um, Ultimately, you, um, you are in control. I just I want to be able to publicly say that. You are in control. Uh, we recognize this, and um, I know it's probably even annoying that I'm even praying about this because I think we're all kind of sick of talking about it, but I do want to highlight, God, that you are in control. We do love you. We're so grateful for you. Thank you for these individuals that were <clears throat> able to come out today, and um, thank you for those that are able to watch online today. May, uh, may your words be heard, not mine. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, I had kind of talked a little bit about, um, you know, inclining your heart, and uh, it's really, it's an interesting thing um, when you think about inclining. Uh, for those of you that didn't, weren't able to be here, it's, it's, it's a really big challenge to incline something. Anytime you've been on a, a treadmill or anything, and you've suddenly inclined, you notice how much harder that is. Like I said last week, that you know, I, I, there's been times where I've gotten on the treadmill, not often, but I get, I've gotten on the treadmill and, you know, I'm walking and I, I see, you know, Megan might come in and challenge me, be like, oh, man, you should put it on an incline. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm totally good. And then she clicks the button a few times and I start to see myself go up a little bit and it's like, wow, I, I can handle this. And then 
you get up real high and it's like, wow, I, I can handle this for about another, you know, 27 seconds and I'm going to be, I'm going to be hurting. And uh, I've noticed that in my life and I think the lives of others, then it, when it comes to this shifting of the heart, it's really, really challenging. Everybody wants to change things in their lives, but we don't always recognize that we have to change things in our lives to have things change in our lives, if that makes sense. I actually saw something one time that uh, it was like a little cartoon, and it was like um, who this guy was asking the crowd, who wants change? And everybody's raising their hand. The entire crowd is raising their hand, and then he says, who wants to change? And nobody's hand is raised. And it's really interesting because we all want to see change in our lives for the better. We all want to see God do something really, really great in our lives and see purpose take place in our lives. And, but when it comes to changing the little things, it's really difficult. It's just extremely difficult. There's things right now that I'm walking through in my life that I'm very aware of that I'm wanting to change. And I'm taking steps to make sure that takes place. In fact, uh, June 1st, there was some stuff that I had been dealing with and I just always want to be a person. I always want to continue to try to better myself, especially in this area of just of, of trying to understand God's heart. Obviously, I won't be able to do that until I meet him face to face, but I just, I want to get to that place where I'm just continually trying to make sure that like, am I getting this right? Is this what the scripture is saying? And so June 1st, I had sent out a text to some of my family and friends. I just said, it just said simply, I'm taking my life back. And kind of what that meant was like, there's been some things that I've been wrestling with in my life, and you probably hear every time I get up here I talk about that, so yes, I wrestle with a lot of things in my life, but I just, I just wanted to kind of put another stake in the ground and say, okay, I'm taking my life back in this spot, and I'm really going to try and work through some of these things, and so I started a little 28-day thing with some of this stuff. I, don't, I, I thought it was 28 days to break a habit. Megan said it's 23. If, if any of you guys think it's 28, go ahead and tell me afterwards so I can affirm that I'm right. If you think it's 23, just, just leave and don't tell me, please. Um, but I was like, I'm going to do this 28-day thing, you know, and really try to develop some habits. Because the thing is, when you're talking about stuff that you get involved with, we actually, we start, everybody knows this, you start developing habits. Habits are just a part of life. So sometimes we develop really good habits. It's like, oh, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to exercise and I'm going to have this routine. And that's incredible. And you develop those habits over a period of time. And God allowed us to be able to develop habits so we can create routines. So there's not chaos in our lives. It makes sense. But there's also habits, as you know, that we start to develop that are not good. And we might, and it might not even be sinful. It might not even be things where, oh, I've developed a really bad habit and I'm sinning against God. It might not even just be that. It might be, I've developed some habits in my life that are causing me uh, maybe some stress, that are causing me some pain, that are maybe just not helpful in my life. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a sin, but it's like, I'm really struggling with this area of you fill in the blank. And we start to develop these really, really bad habits. And it's so easy to do. And the problem is once you get in this treadmill, I know Nick, uh, Nick had talked about this one of the times. He had said when he was talking about anxiety, he had talked about the anxiety treadmill and how it just keeps going. And I think it's not just with anxiety. It's with a lot of things. I think if you're a student and you're in school, there's certain habits that you'll develop over a period of time. You're, you know, from kindergarten to senior year, and, and those habits will begin to form who you are, and people will start to know who you are, and it almost gets hard to even change because you're like, well, it's not even worth it. Everybody thinks this is how I am. Everybody's already labeled me in this category, and I think that's a lie, but I don't think it's just in high school, or I don't think it's just in school that we do this. I think it's actually long-term in our life. 
we get done and we see ourselves a certain way and we might go through the rest of our lives with this habit because maybe A, we don't even recognize it, B, we might not want to change, or C, we might not even think we can change because it's already been how we've been labeled. And that's why inclining your heart is such an incredibly difficult thing. Because when you talk about inclining your heart, there is going to be work. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Christianity is not comfortable. Christianity involves risks. There's going to be things that you do in your walk with Christ that just are incredibly comfortable, uncomfortable, that are incredibly tough. When you look at some of the stuff that Paul was going through, I love, I, we all love Paul because he's the prime example of walking through different things with courage. I don't think he wanted to necessarily be chained, but you know what? He knew there was a bigger picture. He knew that the life that he wanted to live was not going to be comfortable. And sometimes I get so wrapped up in my comfortability that I don't want to incline my heart. Why would I incline my heart and make my life harder when I'm comfortable? Why would I possibly, when I'm running on the treadmill and things are going well, I might even be... I'm on the treadmill, I'm doing something healthy. This is great, this is awesome. I've been doing this for a year now, this is terrific. And then incline a little bit. It's like, oh, I, I really don't wanna do that. I'm not really ready for that. And God is telling us in Psalm 119, 112, this is the scripture we used last week, and we're gonna use it again, that we need to be inclining our hearts. And so Psalm 119, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever till the very end. This is something that God is actually calling us to do. He's telling us, hey, you need to incline your heart. You need to make adjustments that are going to challenge you. That's what this means. I think sometimes as we've gotten wrapped up in the Christian life, it becomes this, one, this thing where we can come to church or we can watch church online or we can, we can do some of those things. And as long as we're comfortable and like things are good, but when God wants us to get outside of our comfort zone at all, it gets really, really challenging and it's really, really difficult. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I was working at Napanee Missionary Church, and I was doing some, uh, I was doing some like, uh, basically maintenance. I did maintenance for them for like four years. And they would have me do pretty much any job possible. It was me and a bunch of my high school buddies. When we, weren't, when we were in our off season, we weren't playing basketball. So during the fall, every fall, I would work there until basketball started. And I remember just doing so many different things from, good grief, I was out, out on 19 weed whacking the grass and you know, painting and stuff and just all this crazy stuff. And I remember one time they're like, okay, we, we need you to, like, your focus, we need you just to every, uh, basically every day you come in, we need you to, like, restack chairs around the, around the church, kind of like we do on Sundays after here, you know, we'll, we'll stack these chairs. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm stacking chairs, and um, I don't even think at the time there was carts. Like, at least right now we have, like, carts, which is really nice. But I would stack the chairs, and then we'd have to carry them. And I remember, like, some of us high school guys trying to like one-up each other with the amount of chairs that we were carrying, you know? And I'm not even strong, but I'm like, I'm gonna act kind of strong. It's kind of little man syndrome, you know? I'm like, oh man, I'm this little guy. I gotta really impress everybody. So I'm, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm picking up this chair and, you know, <clears throat> start with four. I'm like, all right, this isn't too bad. And then I look over and my buddy's carrying five. And I was like, all right. And so I, I'm like, I'm gonna carry six. So I carry six and, you know, it just keeps, it just keeps going. And all of a sudden I'm up to like 10 chairs and, I mean, I'm struggling, like, you know, I'm aching, I'm, I'm falling over, and I remember literally, like, falling and, like, dropping all these chairs, and it's this huge mess, and I, I probably hurt myself, I probably went to the bathroom and cried so nobody could see me, but, you know, it's just one of those things where I thought that I was, like, man, this super strong dude, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I, I'm, I'm really not, but the whole point of that is I actually think that's how 
our lives work when it comes to this idea of inclining our hearts. And this is where I want to head this morning. I think part of inclining your heart comes down to the word humility. And I think sometimes we carry more than we can. I think sometimes we bite off more than we can chew. I think sometimes our lives become these 10 chair carries where we're, we're carrying things and God is asking us to take some of that stuff from us and we keep carrying them. Maybe it's in your relationship, maybe it's in your job, maybe it's just in your personal life and you're just trying to carry these t- 10 chairs. Maybe you're trying to carry them because you wanna prove to yourself that you're like, you're strong enough, like you can do this, like I can do this. Maybe you're trying to carry them because you wanna show others how strong you actually are. For me, that's what it was, it's an apathy thing. I'm like, oh man, 10 chairs, that ain't no big deal. And it was because I dropped them and it went all over the place and maybe that's where you're at. There's two sides to this. Sometimes personally, we just... We want to carry so much because maybe there's an insecurity inside of us that says, if I don't carry a lot, I'm not valuable. If I don't carry a lot, I'm not holding my weight. If I don't carry a lot, I'm not showing God that I want to work hard because working hard is something that is really important. Maybe it's the other side, though, where status is such a big thing that you want to keep showing how much pe- how busy you are, how much you can carry, and God's saying, I want you to humble yourself, and I want you to be able to understand that I need you to hand some things off. Now, there's two sides, and I want to walk through a couple pieces of Scripture, and then I'm going to take you through three little things that humility, that involves humility, and then I'm going to close with a little bit of an exercise that I want to give you guys a chance to bow your heads, and we're going to have you reflect on what God is asking from you today that you can take through this week as far as humility goes. So bear with me on some of this scripture. I'm gonna explain two parts of the humility. And so this first part, Jesus is talking. It's in Luke 14, seven through nine. And this is what it says. When Jesus, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed, and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Then he goes on in 10. He says, instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table that when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all other guests, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You've probably seen this piece of scripture before. God is literally, Jesus is literally talking into a, essentially a societal matrix here, first century matrix, where he is telling, he is looking at these individuals, and he's giving them probably the best advice that you could possibly have from a practical standpoint. Don't find yourself humiliated, find yourself being put in a place that you could actually be in a place of honor. And what he's kind of trying to display to these people, and it'll go on in verse 12 through 14, and that's where we'll get some of the context. What he's actually trying to tell these people is, is incredibly wise, because what he's, he's saying is, if you want to humble yourself, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to be able to continue lifting you up. Why? Because if you humble yourself enough to be able to place yourself down here, I will constantly rise you. I will rise you. But if you're constantly placing yourself up here, then God, if you've noticed, and I think this is, this is the whole point, Jesus came to do one thing. Jesus, although he is on the right hand of the throne and he is up here, 
if you know his character and who he is and what he did on the cross, he's actually down here. And what do I mean by that? I mean that Jesus, in Romans 5, 8, I say it every week, he came when we were sinners. At our worst, he came down. And so what that means is while he's on the right hand of the throne and he's God and he's all the way up here and he's king, the neat thing about our king and our God is the fact that he meets us all the way down here. And when you're up here and you find yourself up here, the only place that you have to go is down here because this isn't where God always wants to meet you. In fact, a lot of times in the scriptures, you see that God meets you where you're at. And when people are talking about that, they're not usually saying, God always meets you where you're at, and it's a good thing. It's usually God meets you where you're at, and you're usually struggling or you're down here. Every time I ever talk to people, I always say, you know what I love about Jesus is that Jesus meets me where I'm at. Every time I've been in a struggle or in a bind or in a dark situation, Jesus has met me where I'm at. And where I'm at half the time when he's meeting me is down here. And that's because we serve a God who humbled himself, who is a servant, who places himself beneath us to rise us up. And that's why this scripture is particularly important. Because if you're noticing, if you're constantly finding yourself up here, and what I mean by that is, you're, you're, you're closed-minded, you're not kind, you're not gracious, you're not merciful, you think you know it all, if you, you think yourself so high, it's gonna be hard for him to meet you right here because Jesus' character wants to meet you down here. He wants to meet you in the places where he can uplift you. That's what he did in Romans 5, 8. That's his heart. His heart is always a servant. And a servant, from a societal standpoint, is the lowest of the lows. And Jesus identifies himself as a shepherd, as a servant. Yes, he identifies himself as a king. There's no doubt about it. God is king. But you know what's so neat is that he identifies himself as a servant. And that's why this is really crucial. And he goes on to say in 14, uh, 12 through 14, I love this. I love this because I think this, this is the challenge for you. And th th nothing might happen in your life and nothing might happen in my life after I say this, but it gets me jazzed because there's potential. There's real potential here. Now, obviously with the pandemic, it's extremely difficult, but 14, 12 through 14, this is what he says. He turns to the host. He says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Man, I got chills reading that. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. This is what excites me. This, was the mo this is one of the most challenging things as I read this. Because if I was to be honest with you, I like to invite people over to my house or hang with people that I have things in common with, um, that are my friends, that I know well, that are probably similar to me. But sometimes it's a challenge to invite people that I don't really know over or hang with people I don't know or maybe not interested in the same things I am. Why? Because that kind of gets me outside my comfort zone. It's one of the reasons you always hear, you know, in school, you hear about like clicks and all that stuff. And people are like, oh, I hate clicks. But the truth is, to be honest, it makes sense why we would have clicks. It makes, it makes complete sense. Because you're hanging out with people who have the same interests, the same hobbies, think the same way, all that stuff. Thing is, I don't think that goes away when school ends. I think as adults, we might even get more clicky. Most of you, and myself included, hang out with the same people in the last five years has hung out with the same people, probably on a weekly, if not monthly basis, where at least once or twice a month, you see the exact same people. 
you do the same things. You go to the same types of restaurants. You play the same games. You have the same conversations. I wasn't going to do this, but like Tim and Ann, let me give you a shout out actually right now. One of the things I really appreciate, there's so many people in here like this, but appreciate about their hearts is the fact that they have a ton of different people over. It doesn't matter if you, uh, you know, disagree with them or don't uh, have the same ideas or have different background. It doesn't matter. I've found that to be incredibly refreshing. That the, Those are people that I can think of, just as I'm looking at you guys, that I really appreciate your guys' heart in that, that always willing to have new people. And there is a ton of people in this room that do that. But there's also a lot of us that hang out with the exact same people. Now, are you saying, Mike, you shouldn't have really close friends? This is why this is so challenging. Because I love my friends. I love my family. I love hanging out with the same people. Trust me. But when I look at this scripture and I look how short life is, I begin to think, man, maybe I should be expanding my circle. I don't have much time on this earth. And I don't want to have every single second, while relationships and community and best friends and siblings and all those things are incredibly important. You have to have those people. You have to have those people for accountability. You have to have people that know you really well because those are the individuals that are going to lift you up. Those are the people that you're going to run to when times are bad, and those are the people you're going to call when times are good. But can I challenge us right now, and I'm, I'm saying this for myself probably more than anybody, that there should be moments in our lives that maybe we want to get outside of ourselves and actually get to know some people. We humble ourselves enough to think, I have no idea what these people are about. I don't know anything about them, but why don't you come over for pizza? Why don't we go out to eat? Why don't we sit down and talk? Simply because I want to get to a place where I humble myself and I recognize that my reward is simply, it's not this status thing of who I hang out with or it's not this comfort thing of the people that I hang out with. It's actually a reward from God recognizing that, you know what, I want to get outside of my comfort zone. And the reason I said that this morning, and that's not even going to be really the, the main topic, but I want to challenge you and I want to challenge me that maybe we need to be a church that doesn't get too comfortable with the same people all the time. Maybe we'd be a, a church that we do tr try to invite some people that, that maybe aren't like us, that don't, you know, some neighbors that we don't know where they're at, and we just, we offer that up, or maybe we invite them out to eat, or maybe we invite them over. I think God wants us to get outside of our comfort zones when it comes to this idea of hanging out with people, and it's one of the reasons why I try to force myself to hang out with a lot of different people, because I want to look back and know that you know what, God, I didn't just sit at the same table with the same people. I expanded my table. I went to different tables. I'm really trying to do that. I'm not good at it, but I'm trying to do that. And I want to challenge you with that. That is the first thing I believe with humility is recognizing who's in your circle and how can you get uncomfortable. That is actually really difficult to do. That's part of the gospel. How can you get uncomfortable? Because the moment that you're uncomfortable is the moment that God is going to take over and he's actually going to enter into that uncomfort and he's going to challenge you and stretch you in ways that you never have. Now, please don't walk away because I really don't want you to walk away and think, Mike is never going to hang out with his friends again or I should never hang out with my friends again. That is, obviously, that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply throwing out this challenge that maybe we should expand our circles. Maybe we should expand our churches with people that aren't necessarily like us, that don't necessarily believe the same thing, but they come in and do a community and they experience the love of Jesus and maybe they experience Jesus in their own personal hearts. It's a challenge that I wanted to throw out there. And then in Philippians 2, uh, 3 through 4, before I get to the actual part, 
and I've been running late lately with everything, all my messages in the last year and a half, and the, uh, the ban and stuff has been making fun of me, so I won't, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to shorten this up. Philippians 2 through 3 through 4, 2, 3 through 4, I'm sorry, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. I love this, and this is where we're headed. I'm going to give you three pieces of how you can have what I call a humility heart shift. As we talked about heart revision last week, and part two this week of heart revision, I want to give you three practical things of humility heart shifts, and this is what it looks like. The first one is this, is that you cannot carry everything. I said it with the chairs. I don't know what you're trying to carry right now. I don't know if you're in a place where you just feel like you're carrying a marriage and you're just like, man, I'm exhausted, and you're, or you're carrying like a relationship, or you're carrying like all these different things maybe around the house. I know that stuff starts to add up, and it's just like, man, I'm overwhelmed. I can't even enjoy anything anymore because I'm trying to do all this different stuff, or marriage, maybe you're just carrying all this stuff from, from your job. I don't know exactly what it is, but when you start to pick up the 10 chairs and you start to walk, I promise at some point you probably will fall, and all the chairs are going to come tumbling down, and it's, it's not what God had intended. And so my question is to you is, what are you carrying this morning? Have you got to a place that you're carrying so much that you don't feel like you're even enjoying life anymore? You don't feel like you're getting to experience all that God has? You're carrying actually so much that right now your only focus is on what you're carrying, and you can't even hear people telling you, hey, you're carrying too much. Or you can't even hear other voices trying to encourage you or say, I can help you because you're just so focused on not dropping the 10 chairs. That's the first thing. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, it says this. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden's light. I love that. He's, li- he's literally telling us, come to me if you want rest. See, there's a difference between sleeping and getting physical rest, obviously, and getting soul rest. See, I love a good physical sleep. Don't get me wrong. I don't feel like I get enough of it. I don't think any of us do. I'd love to go in a dark room and sleep for 20 hours. That'd be awesome. But there's been times where I've slept in, got a ton of rest, and woke up feeling just as burdened. And it's because a physical rest doesn't always solve our, all of our problems. Sometimes God is just telling you, I'm sure, probably just take a nap. You need to take a nap. And then there's other times he's like, you need to do stuff that is going to get you to a place of giving your heart, giving your stuff to me because you're carrying too much. Now, somebody might say, what, like, what does that even mean? What do I do? Like, am I just supposed to not work hard anymore? No, that's not what that means. I think part of recognizing that you're caring too much is looking at the things in your life. And if you, this is, I think, how you can tell. This is a little radar. If you have lost the enjoyment of life or you have got to a place where your family is not the main priority in your life, you might be caring too much. I try to do this often with radar, like my own personal radar. I'll look at myself and I'll think, man, I'm really not enjoying anything right now because it just feels like the days are spinning together. I think, oh, I'm caring too much. Or there might be times where I'm, you know, the boys are trying to play with me. This happened last week and it really made me feel bad. I was just carrying a ton of stuff and I was on my phone and Case had asked me multiple times, Dad, can you put your phone down? I said, yeah, I will. Here in just a sec. Just give me a second. And then he's like, well, Dad, can you watch me? And I said, yes, just give me, like, buddy, I will. And I started, like, getting mad at him. And then the look in his eyes, and then he said something like, 
well, Dad, I just want you to play with me. And I, I mean, I'm not going to cry on stage like I normally do, but I was just like, holy cow. Like, look at that. What am I doing? That is a complete sign. That's, ten, that's me carrying 10 chairs. I, why, do I, why do I care what other people are doing on Facebook or Instagram? Why do I care what the latest trends are or any of that stuff? My son wants me to watch him. That's a radar thing. That's when I know that I'm carrying too much. And if you have kids or you don't have kids, it doesn't matter because you can, you can find somebody in your life, whether it's your spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or a friend or things that you're holding high in priority in relationships. And if they are getting the leftovers, that is such a radar that God is telling you, you are carrying too much. And he tells you in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, that he wants you to come to him. And I believe doing the right thing is coming to him. And the right thing is to put your family and your priorities and the people that you care about first. That is the right thing to do. That's what God has called us to do. And that's why I know that when I do those things, I'm going to God. I'm giving him those things because I'm putting my phone down and I'm doing what's right. The second one is this. It's another humility heart shift. It's a similar thing and it's one I struggle with probably the most, is give him your worries. In 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7, it says this. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This has been a really, really difficult one because when you deal with anxieties, you're dealing with thoughts. And how can I control what I think? I've talked to many counselors before, and I've even counseled many people before, and I've even talked to friends and family, and I myself have dealt with anxiety. And it's been one of these things that's been really hard because how do I get to a place where I shut my brain off? I can't do that. But one of the things that I, over a period of time of talking to different people that I've kind of come to this conclusion of 1 Peter 5 through 6 through 7, 5, 6 through 7, I'm sorry, I keep messing that up, is the fact that sometimes when it comes to anxieties, you're not going to be able to shut your brain off. I understand that. But you have to take action. You have to constantly take action to be able to minimize the anxiety as much as you can. So what do I mean by this from a very practical standpoint? It means that you should find those people that are going to hold you accountable, that are going to uplift you, that are going to talk with you. And that's why I go back to that section of I don't want you to think I'm not saying have good friends. You need to have good friends in your life. You need to have that circle. You need to have that table that you can sit with, that when your thoughts are ramping up, you can go to the table and say, Here's some of my thoughts, because God works in community the best. And I think what he's saying right here, humble yourselves. Do you know how hard it is to tell somebody that you're struggling? Very hard, right? First time I went to a counselor, I said, yeah, I'm kind of struggling with anxiety, and like, it's just, you know, it's just like, I got a lot on my plate, and like, it's just kind of tough and stuff. It's no big deal, but I mean, I'm just telling her that. And uh, I got home, and Megan's like, how was it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it was good. And she's like, so did you tell her, tell her everything? I said, I mean, yeah, I told her, you know, I told her some stuff, and she's like, we, she didn't, you literally didn't tell her, like, what was going on, and we, I dove further into what I told her, and she's like, you didn't even tell her the problem. You literally just masked it by saying you have anxiety, and I said, yeah, because, like, it's kind of embarrassing to say that, like, I struggle with OCD, and I like things to be a certain way in perfection. When stuff, stuff's off, like, it bothers me, and I just, like, I just told you all my deepest, darkest secret right there. But anyways, I'm like, I don't want to tell her that. And Megan's like, well, how's she going to be able to help you? And I'm like, she's just going to have to figure it out, I guess. Well, that's not how it works. 
God works best in community. And when he says humble yourselves, what he is saying, this is a, actually a context of community right here in this very passage. What he's actually saying to you and me is humble yourselves enough, get past your pride, come to the table with your issues. Come to church with your issues. Come to a place with other believers with your issues. Don't come in here and act like the world is, the, like you're doing so good and everything is awesome. There's seasons where things are just awesome. And there's other seasons where you walk in here, probably each and every one of you have walked in here with something that is just going on that is just terrible. And you feel like you have to put it aside so that you can worship for an hour. Humble yourselves. That doesn't mean you have to come up here and shout it on the mountaintop. What it means is find somebody in here. Humble yourself. Do it in community that you get to the point and you say, you know what, this is actually what's going on in my life. I am really struggling. It's not just anxiety. I can mask it with anxiety. I can say I worry a little bit. No, there's some deep stuff in me that I'm struggling with. And I want to get to the place where, God, I don't think I'm too prideful to act like I have it all together. Because the bottom line is nobody has it all together. And we're serving a God that has it all together. But you and me do not have it all together. And therefore, humble yourselves, bring your stuff to the table, and give him your worries. That's the second heart shift. And the last one is this. Sorry, I'm running quick on time, so I'm going to run through this. The next one is this, the last one. Model the right person. It makes sense, right? Philippians 2, 8, 11. It's exactly what it says about Jesus, and I love it. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Man. That's hard to read, just because, wow. I mean, yeah. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I read that, and it's just, wow. I mean, when we think about that, I never want Jesus' death on the cross to get old. I never want to become numb to it. He, he died on the cross for you and me. He humbled himself. He came down in human form. I don't know what God, what king would ever do that other than one that was incredibly gracious, incredibly merciful, loved you and me over his own life. And I want to ask you this morning when it comes to this idea of humility, who are you modeling after? Because you should be modeling after somebody and you should be modeling after him. And sometimes we get to places in our life where we elevate ourselves because maybe there's an insecurity. We feel like nobody else is going to elevate us. We want to be people that, like, everybody wants to be respected. Everybody wants to have status. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be liked. Everyone, you know, we, we all desire that as humans. And there's been times in my life where I felt less than, and I felt like the only way that I would be elevated is if I elevated myself, which is the most arrogant thing you could possibly do, but I, I've done that and I do that. There's times where I'm just like, oh, man, like nobody else is going to recognize. I better just do it myself. And I'm just like, oh, I'm awesome. And then I'm up here, and it's like, what? No? Like that doesn't make any sense. And God is telling me, who are you modeling after? Because I was king, and I could have sent a 1,000 angels down. I could have sent a million angels down, but I didn't elevate myself. I elevated you. I came down and I sacrificed myself. So if I call myself a Christian in this idea of humility, I should actually be doing the exact opposite of what I just told you I'd do. When I'm down here, 
and I'm feeling like I need to get up here because it's a natural human thing and that's why the gospel's tricky and it's risky and it's uncomfortable, the best place I could be is right here because I'm modeling after Jesus. The best place that you and me could be if we call ourselves Christians is right here. When we don't feel like maybe people are recognizing all the good things that we're doing or aren't recognizing all the the weight that we're carrying. If you're down here and you're feeling like you wanna get up here, can I tell you, I think that's from the enemy because I think the enemy wants you to feel like you need to get up here. You need respect. You need admiration. I need this. I need people to think I'm awesome. I need people. And God's like, if you would just humble yourself and model after me, you'd recognize that right down here, when you're feeling inadequate, when you're feeling uh, down, and he meets you in that place, you'll suddenly recognize that you are in the exact, you're on the exact same level that Jesus was because he came down as a servant. And I think it's a really big issue for our society right now because nobody knows, I don't feel like anybody knows who we're, what we're supposed to believe or what, what's supposed to happen or who we're supposed to model after. Do I model after this person, blah, blah, blah. There's this big pastor over here that says this, so maybe this is true because obviously he's at a mega church and I should totally listen to everything he says. And No, no. I love Stephen Furtick more than the, probably the person to the left and the right. I enjoy him. I think he's a little bit obnoxious at times. I do like him though. I love Carl Lentz. I love Judah Smith. I love Richard, Rich Wilkerson Jr. I love some of these big time pastors. But I can tell you, they're, I'm not modeling after them. They can say all they want to and they can spin it and they can come up with these awesome phrases and they can get tweeted and retweeted and Instagrammed and you name it. And that's awesome. I'm gonna listen to some of the, some of the stuff they say is very helpful and it puts things into context. But I'm never gonna model after them. I might try and do some of the things they do because they're trying to do some of the things that Jesus did. And I think it's okay to have a human or somebody that you know that you respect to model your life after. I always tell couples, if you know somebody that's been married for 45 years, man, get to know that couple. Because you should model your relationship after them because they'll probably have a lot of wisdom, a lot of things they could tell you. Not because they've done everything right, but because they're still together and they're still moving forward. And I think we should try and model, but I would only model after a couple that's modeling after him. I would never tell somebody, yeah, that couple's been together for 40 years. They're not walking with Jesus. It's been one of those things. It's not like a great marriage. They just kind of stayed together. I'd go ahead and model after them. No, I'd say model after a couple that's modeling after Jesus, and it's the same thing with you and me. I don't know who you're modeling today, but there is one individual, one God that you should be modeling after, and his name is Jesus. And he was humble enough to come down to meet us exactly where we're at. And so I want to read you this because I believe this is something when it comes to this idea of carrying things. I think sometimes we make a mistake, hard work for humility. But by carrying everything, we're holding on to a weight that we were asked to hand over to a trustworthy God. I believe this. This is kind of the, the phrase, if you will, that came to me as I was preparing. And I felt like God was telling me this in this idea of humility. It's great to work hard. God loves that. He honors that. But sometimes we mistake it for control. I remember when I was in youth ministry for the first five years, I think one of the things I did wrong, I did many things wrong, good grief. But one of the things I did wrong was I think I controlled too much. I didn't even realize how I was doing this, but like I would have parents ask me, hey, can we help you? And I'd be like, oh, no, it's fine. And it wasn't that I didn't want the help. It was I didn't want to put the burden on them. So I wanted to carry it myself. I was like, no, 
Like, I'd have leaders that'd be like, hey, we could help you. And I'd be like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, I got this. So, I mean, one, I remember some of the nights, I mean, I'd be, I'd be speaking somehow, if you can believe, I'd be speaking, I'd be running sound, I'd be running the PowerPoint. I'm pretty sure I led worship. I mean, it was just getting ridiculous. And we had incredible volunteers. Heck, Nick saw me do it, and Austin saw me do it for a little bit too. And, well, Tim and Ann, I mean, I didn't know how to let go of some of the control. And it wasn't even actually like a, I think I'm awesome thing. It was a, I didn't want to put this burden on anybody else. But that's still a form of arrogance when you think about it. Because I'm not trusting. God gave people gifts that are so much better than me. There was moms and, and dads that could do things that I would have never been able to do. There was a few of the moms that had brought stuff for a Super Bowl party that cooked some stuff. And I thought, holy cow, where's this been? And I thought, what are you talking about, Mike? They've asked you every week, can we help you with this? You finally just let them do it. You finally just said, okay, it's okay. Like, I don't want to burden you, but since this is Super Bowl, you know, you can make it. And I'm thinking, you're the one that's doing that. You're the one that has a lack of trust that, that it's going to, not that it's going to get done, but that, that they have the gifts and it's not going to be a burden to them. It's one of these things that we do. Sometimes we carry so much because either we think we're good enough to carry it all, or we don't want to burden anybody else with the issue. But the truth is, is that that's God's community. This whole idea that I want you to see this morning, and that's what I hope you recognize, is humility. Humility is so important in community. It really is. If we have arrogance and walls and pride sitting amongst us, my biggest prayer is that God would break them down. That God would get to a, po- a point that the Holy Spirit would just break them down. So that we would not walk in here thinking that we have to hide our biggest issues, but we would actually come in here recognizing that we are all broken. We are all desperate for Jesus' grace and his love and his mercy. And we get to the place where as a community, there just humility just fills the room. Honesty fills the room. Care fills the room. A lack of judgment fills the room. Personal opinions pushed aside, all for the cause of recognizing that we need Jesus. We need humility in our lives. And so this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to call the band back up here because I am going to end up going late. I'll I'll hurry it up. Band, if you could come um, back. I want to just close out with with a few things that I want to challenge you guys with. And I want to ask you personally, as the band, they'll come up here and um, I'm not sure who's on the keyboards, if it trays on the keys, um, I'll have him play. And I just want you to reflect on one of these areas. Maybe it's one of these areas that I'm going to read you, and maybe it's not, on how you can humble yourself because God calls us to do this. And so maybe the first one is sacrifice. Maybe you need to humble yourself and start sacrificing. We live in a very selfish world. I'm a very selfish person. When I, I mean, my, my, time is, my time is important. I don't want to waste any of it. The things I'm doing is important. The passions I have are important. And anybody tries to step in those, for me, it's like, ooh, this is a waste of time. And God's like, no, that's not true. You need to start being sacrificial. Stop being so selfish. Maybe the next one, man, it's kind of crazy. I'm looking at all these, and I pretty much, pretty much struggle with all these. Wow, I got issues. Number two is handing off your worries and anxieties. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're like me, and you just... You've kind of masked it for so long where you're just like, oh, man, I, I got some worry. Maybe you really do need to let it go. Maybe the way you let it go 
is not letting it go in your mind. If you, have a, if you struggle with worrying anxiety, it's not just going to go away. What I mean by let it go is maybe you need to bring it to the table. Maybe you need to find some people that you trust. And you say, look, this is what is really going on. If I was to sit down with you and tell you, like, this is what is actually going on in my life. Maybe the next thing is you need to let go of control. You're just a person that loves control. Maybe it's because you feel like that's where you get your value. Some of this is wiring. Like, some people are just wired like that. And can I say, that that's okay. I talked about it last week, the type A. I actually was laying awake the night of and thought, man, I hope people didn't miss my message where I'm saying, oh, if you're type A, like, you need to blah, 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 or whatever. I, I was simply saying that we're all wired differently. We're all wired differently. So let me clear this up so I don't lose any more sleep over it. But we're all wired differently. But we all have the ability to hold on to things. And so if you're a person that constantly is controlling things, maybe God's telling you to let some of that stuff go. The next thing is maybe you're pursuing your priorities over his. What do I mean by this? Maybe you've gotten to a place where it's your agenda it's your beliefs, it's yours, 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 and you're at that point in your life where you're not gonna let anybody talk you out of anything because you're stubborn and this is the way it is, and while I think being stubborn actually has some benefits because it can keep you out of trouble, I also think stubbornness can be a giant crutch because it, it keeps you from hearing anybody else's perspective. Maybe it's the way that you talk to people or the way you act towards people. There's just not a lack of humility and people can sense it. And it makes people not feel comfortable around you. Maybe God is challenging you to be more open-minded. I don't know what it is this morning for you, but I know that God is calling us to humble ourselves. I know that he wants us to incline our hearts. Psalm 119, 112 is very clear, and he wants you to incline your heart. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yes. Is it going to be challenging? Yes. Is it going to be risky? Yes but he wants you to incline your heart. And a part of inclining your heart means doing something that's uncomfortable. And that in itself is humility because that is recognizing that it's gonna be difficult, that it's gonna be challenging, but I'm still gonna do it because it's not my agenda, God, it's your will. And your will is that I would incline my heart towards you. And so this morning, I'm just gonna give us just a minute, 30 seconds, to just bow your heads and I just, as, the, the, as Sarah plays, I just want you to think about what is God telling you how you can humble yourself this morning? I'm just gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would tell you specifically what he wants you to humble yourself in this morning. And remember, I've said this before, God doesn't just humble you. Very few cases in the scriptures we see God humble his people. God in the scriptures asks us to humble ourselves. And he does that because he's not, he's not this big puppet master. And we're not robots. And he's not just going to click a switch and we're humbled. A big part of being a Christian is to humble yourself. So I want you to bow your heads and then I'll close this out in prayer. Just think about what he wants from you this morning.
got 30 seconds, two minutes, certainly not long enough for you to, well, it is long enough, but maybe it's not long enough, I should say. Maybe it's not long enough for us to fully hear your voice. I know you can speak in that time, obviously, God, but we, we need to be practicing this, quieting ourselves, humbling ourselves. I think one of the greatest things that I've recognized in my life that has extremely, been extremely humble, um, humbling is this idea of perspective. And the truth is sometimes we need to recognize how big you are and how small we are. But it's humbling to know that you come and meet us. I remember... Uh, goodness this past year when I went and spoke to the USC football team I remember walking in and seeing these massive dudes just these massive guys and my goodness was I humbled I walked in and thought holy cow these are some big dudes and I am this little 5'8 dude and they and I'm going to be speaking to them what do I possibly have to say and I remember in that moment just the perspective the perspective was that wow I'm humbled because I'm recognizing how much bigger these guys are to me and God, I think we need that sometimes in our own walks with you is we need perspective. We need to walk into a room almost and, and get this picture of how big you are because if we had that perspective, we would be humble. You are not this tiny God who doesn't know what's going on in our society. You're not this small little God that, that doesn't have control. We're not just out wandering in the desert. The truth is you're a big, big God. You have a plan, you're in control, you care for us. And the greatest thing that I could probably do during this entire season that we're in is humble myself enough to recognize that, which means that I'm not gonna worry about all that's going on. I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna really try and not get angry with all that's going on. Instead, I'm gonna humble myself and ask during this season, God, what do you want from me? Because I know you don't want me to be angry and confrontational. I think during this season, you want me to set a standard of love and you want me to be one of those people who can humble myself enough to recognize there's hurting people out there. We're all confused, and maybe I could be a light in this world. And I believe that for every person in here, whether you're here or you're watching online, I really believe that God wants us to humble ourselves and be the standard for what peace looks like, for what trust looks like, for what community looks like. And we come together, and we bring our issues to the table. That's what church is. We bring our stuff to the table. Some people might say, well, yeah, but then it just becomes a big, a big hospital if people bring. That's exactly right. This is a hospital. It's not the best people in the world coming in, the, the, the people that have it all together coming in. Heck, if anything, it's people recognizing we don't have it all together and we are worthless without you, Jesus. That's the type of people that are coming into these, these churches around our world. People that don't have it all together, people that are humbling themselves. May we recognize and may the individuals in this room, myself included, or watching online this week find a way to humble themselves in a, in a, in a category that they, 